All right. So if I say that today we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba, or if you look in your Bible and you see what's next, 2 Samuel 11, and the little heading says David and Bathsheba, you pretty much know the whole story. And you know the whole deal, and you know all how it works. And there's a lot of sections of the Bible that can be like that. If you've been a Christian for five years, if you've been a Christian for 45 years, some of these stories can get just like, you know what happens. You might read it, and you just skim past it, and you look over it, and and that's that. And I could... You know, I'm researching this and I'm reading it and I'm pretty much getting the same message from everybody. And I've heard, I don't even know how many sermons I've heard on this. VeggieTales have King George and the ducky. That's all about this story for crying out loud. It's a, a much told story. And whenever that happens, that makes it harder for me. Because I really, God's word is living and active and when it says God's word is living and active, God's word isn't the printed piece of paper thing. It's Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about Jesus. Okay? So God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any edged sword. That's Jesus is living and active. He's sharper than any double-edged sword. But all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and building up and rebuking and correcting and training and godliness. So so I want to get stuff out of this and I don't want it to just be the same old thing. Does that make sense? Kind of like when you drive to work every day and you drive the same route to work every day and all of a sudden you arrive at work and you don't even know how you drove to work. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, did I run red lights? Did I, I don't even know what happened. It was just so, I don't want that to be like this. So, as we talk about it, I'm also going to talk about some ways to do a Bible study and how to look up things and read things and get more out of the scriptures. Does that make sense? So, we're going to, we're going to have like one message layered on top of another one all at the same time. You'll see. You'll see what I mean if I do this right. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11 it begins in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So right off the bat, you've got David did this thing and he sent all these people out. We've been reading for chapters and chapters how he remember. Just before Mephibosheth, we learned how David could just kill all these people. He kills all these people. He fights all this land. When he uh, laid down the, um, what was it, Ruth, Moab, the Moabites. He had them all, all the Moabite soldiers lay down on the ground. And he measures a rope. And he measures two lengths of rope and he kills all those guys. And then he measures out one length of rope and he lets them live. And he measures out two lengths of rope and he kills all those soldiers and then he measures out another rope and he lets those guys live. So this is now they've had winter and it's the springtime of the year. This is crazy. It's March. March 
is named after the Greek god of war, which is Mars. Because March was the beginning of... This is not biblical. This is sort of Western culture. Greek-Roman culture. That's a lot more like our culture now than the Hebrew culture. But um, in the spring, when all everything quit freezing and it things were turning green, they thought that was... They recognized that as the beginning of the year, New Year's. And they named it after the god of war. Mars, because now that frost is over, we're going to start fighting wars again. So I'm glad it's April, but that's where March comes from, <laughs> is wartime. So it's the same custom here. When the springtime, when the thaw is over and the weather gets good, that's when we go out and start fighting, taking some more land, taking some more property, some more countries, etc., so David sends all these guys out and David stays behind. Already, there are commentators that talk about this, this whole episode. And as you read commentaries or you read footnotes, you can tell some of them are biased towards how awesome King David is. And we're not going to say anything bad about him. And this whole event is going to be told through the eyes of it's everybody else's fault, not David's. I was reading a commentary, and even in this very first verse, I was like, that's kind of weird. They're like, you know, it's not the duty of a king to go out and fight and endanger himself. This is why he has soldiers and sends them out. Well, we've had 10 chapters of David being the fighter. So to all of a sudden excuse him, already I'm kind of like, this is kind of a weird commentary. That same commentator would go on to blame Bathsheba and to blame Uriah the Hittite. So you'll see in a little bit where you got to have your discernment turned on. Even when you read, even, even when you listen to me, you got to have your discernment turned on because I might lead you wrong. You got to have your discernment turned on when you read commentaries because they might lead you wrong. We don't know why David stayed behind. There's no evidence of it anywhere. Later on, just to ruin the end of the story, Joab is going to be winning and he's just about ready to take the city and he messages back to David and he says, hey, if you want me to take this and be proclaimed king here, I will. Otherwise, you better hurry up and get over here and do some fighting so you can take the city. And then David drops in, you know, jumps in his car, speeds on down, wins the war and he becomes the king. Basically. So, all the guys are out at war. David alone is home. It ha oh, wait, I got to tell you one more thing. So, my grandma would tell me these stories. There's a neighbor guy. And I guess this would be, this is World War II. World War II, there were no men around that were her age. Because her husband and every other man that was that age was off fighting World War II. And so whenever you saw a man that was her age, she knew there was something that he was not allowed to fight. And it was probably because he had a health problem or a health condition or something like that, that he couldn't go to war. And she said it, it made this mood. She was telling me a story one time. 
It made this mood that every man you saw that was her age was super polite because he couldn't be fighting the Nazis, right? He couldn't be fighting in the war. So he would do, and it just to a person, it happened. Every man that she'd see that was her age would always be opening the door, chasing down wild dogs, like, you know, whatever thing a man should be doing, but there aren't any men here. Um, these guys would step up and do those kinds of things. And there weren't very many of them. She said it was really strange. So keep that in your head too, that this whole business. So all the men are off, except for King David. So when you're reading the Bible, there's no word that's there that's just useless fat that you're going to cut off and not eat. Every word is there. And sometimes it's there to confuse you, to make you search for the Lord more. Sometimes it's there to make some things clear, okay? So a great thing to do, and I think I've said this before, is read the Bible crazy slow. It sounds really weird if you get the audio Bible going on your phone, on the YouVersion app. You can turn on the audio Bible and it'll read the Bible to you. And you can slow it down to half speed. In the spring of the year. And the guy reads the Bible to you super slow and you're like, ah, this is going crazy. But if you pray the Psalms like that, it'll change your life. Just slow down. So. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Okay, so you got all the men out fighting. And what is David doing? Late in the afternoon, he's on his couch. Um, this is like, he's just laying around the house, you guys. He's laying around the house until late in the afternoon. Okay, it's crazy hot. It's not summer hot. It's spring. We just heard that it's spring. But it is hot. And it was customary for them, just like we have patio furniture, just like people that don't have air conditioning, spend a lot of time on their porch. His AC was broken. He didn't have AC. So you go up on the roof where there's a nice breeze and it's wide open and you've got fresh air because they don't even, like down in your house, you don't have a fan moving air in your house, right? It's kind of like a dank basement without the furnace on. So he's out on the roof, but he's getting up from his couch late in the afternoon. So David has crossed over. <laughs> He is not going out fighting. He is not beating bad guys. He is not riding his horse into battle. He's laying on his couch until late in the afternoon. That's already some commentary in there. Remember his house. His house is awesome. It's best at, built out of the best wood anywhere. And it's probably at a high point of town. There's this lady that's bathing and for all she knows all the men are gone all the men are out of town the only people around only men that are going to be around are little boys and old guys also it's late 
afternoon, it's hot. This would be a normal place to go bathe. This is where you would go clean yourself up because you're gonna dry off faster. You're not gonna get too cold down in the basement, right? There's gonna be air moving, so you're not gonna, I mean, there's just, if you just think it through, okay, this is real. Why in the world would she be bathing on the roof? Well, if you don't have plumbing, you don't have electricity, it's evening, you're not gonna go get a bath down in the dark where the air is not moving, right? So she's gonna be out there. David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now we have all kinds of other clues. Why didn't the guy say it is so-and-so? Instead, he said, is it not? They know who it is and David knows who it is. So then you look into these names and elsewhere, Uriah the Hittite comes up and he is one of David's 30. Do you remember when it listed mighty men? We've talked about them before. And it says he wasn't one of the three, but he was one of the 30 or he's one of the 30 or he's one of the hundred and he wasn't part of the 30. David's mighty men were the guys that were with him when he was running from Saul. These guys have been with David for years and Uriah the Hittite is one of them. The Hittites were people that got conquered by the Israelites and a lot of them became Jewish and mixed right in. And so they weren't considered Gentiles. They were considered Jews, even though they weren't part of the group that came out of Egypt. Does that make sense? But so much time has passed that they've just, they blended right in and they're accepted. So Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. He's one of the guys in the cave when Saul was relieving himself and they were all saying, go, this is your chance, kill him. Uriah the Hittite was probably there. If he wasn't there, he was most certainly there at Ziklag when the Philistines came and they hauled, or the Amalekites came and hauled off all their women and their children and all their treasures and they cried for three days and they said, how are we going to get our families back? Uriah the Hittite was probably one of those guys. So he's close to David. Oh, dear. So David sends messengers, takes him, takes her, comes to her, brings her to the, the heavenly palace. And he lays with her and then he sends her home. Sends her back. In verse 5, the woman conceived and she sent and told word to David, I'm pregnant. So there's another cool way to, to read the Bible, read the section, and look for a key word that sticks out. And look for it and then just start, uh, who is it, K. Arthur, she does this and she teaches this. And you can say, okay, whenever the word message or messenger or uh, proclamation shows up in here, I'm going to draw a little yellow box around it. And so David sent word to find out who she was. He draw a little yellow box around that. She sends word back via message, a little yellow box. She sends a message back that she's pregnant. If you follow it along, if you follow just the messages that get sent in this whole section, 
it's really wild to pick him apart and to be like, wow, good news, bad news, good news, bad news, and you know how, it, how they go. And it slows you down. So an old story that you know everything about, you don't even have to read it again. If all of a sudden you start paying attention to the messengers and the messages, it slows you down and the Holy Spirit will show you some new, might show you some new cool stuff, right? So David sends word to Joab, the little yellow box, sends a message to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war is going. How's it going, Joab? Tell me about the battle. Tell me everything. You can tell David's trying to figure out what he's going to do here. Because he, he has done a bad thing. And he's trying to cover it up. He's trying to hide the bad thing he did. Oh, man. David says, has this whole conversation. And he says to Uriah, go down to your house and go wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house. Uriah, it's good for you to be in town. You should go wash your feet. What in the world does that mean? Okay, that must mean something else because that's weird, right? So you start diving into it. It's just a, when, when you say kick back, I can't wait to get home from church today. The weather's awesome. I'm going to go kick back. Does that mean I'm going to go home and... And I'm going to put my foot behind me? No, right? When I get home from working in the garden all day, do I say, my back is killing me? And I turn around, and my back is back there with knives and guns. So go wash your feet. Doesn't mean go wash your feet. It means just go relax, man. You're not on the battlefield. You got this beautiful wife. You got this bathtub. Go wash your feet. So Uriah, so that's how he's going to cover his tracks, right? Uriah goes home. He's with his wife. Wife's pregnant. Problem solved. Uriah did not go down. Uh, let's see. Uriah went out of the king's house there, followed him, oh, followed him with a present from the king. So not only does the king say, go wash your feet, go home and chill. He's like, here's a whole bunch of steaks and some wine. And a box of chocolates. Go enjoy yourself. Relax. Uriah slept at the floor of the king's house with all of the servants of his Lord. And he did not go down to his house. He did not go home. Wait a minute. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why don't you go to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house, eat and drink, lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. We've heard something like this very, very recently. When Uriah says, the ark of the Lord is out and dwells in tents and Israel is sleeping. Do you remember when David said, it's not right 
that I should live in my house and God should live in tents. I will build a, build a house for God. And God said, you don't have to do that. This is that same sort of thing that it's told in a way that's going to remind you of David when he was acting right was like, it's not right for God to be in tents and me to be in a house. And now Uriah, Uriah might have even heard David say that if it was turned into a psalm. Uriah might even be taking this psalm and this song of teaching and saying, you know, it's not right. While the Ark of the Covenant is out. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant got taken and Eli sat watching and worrying about the return and if the if the Ark of the Covenant would be safe. And of course it got taken and he died and all that terrible stuff. Uriah is like, we're at war, man. The Ark of the Covenant is out there. Joab, all, all of your mighty men are out there. I'm not going to go home and eat that steak and drink that wine. I'm, I'm going to act like I'm still in the battle. This is so honorable. This is totally saying, I am going to think of myself as in the same state as all of my brothers that are struggling with this or with that. The Apostle Paul would say, visit people in prison. Consider them. Think about, think about people that are poor. And he would, he would say, identify with them. Because you are part of the body of Christ. They're the party of Christ, part of the body of Christ. You're both in this together. And Uriah the Hittite says, I am not going to go enjoy steak and wine while my men are out fighting. Ugh. David's mad. David says to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next David invited him. He ate in his presence and drank. Okay, so now why is he eating and drinking? Because it would dishonor the king to not be celebrating in the king's presence. So again, Uriah is doing all he can to obey the king and to respect the king, to honor the king, to honor God. David gets him all good and drunk. Aha, this is what we'll do. We'll get him drunk and then we'll send him home. In the evening, he went out, laid down on his couch with the other servants of the Lord. He did not go down to his house. Uriah. Gosh. So there are times where just just sympathizing and being one mind with somebody else that's suffering is all you have to do. Uriah isn't fighting anybody right now. But he's keeping that mentality, just like all the guys while my granddad was in World War II, all the other men in Evansville were helping out, helping women and their kids on the bus, doing these, these things that really impressed my grandma. They were, all, they were all identifying just like they were there, but they weren't, so they were here helping, right? In the morning... You think David's going to be happy about this? His plan is not working out the way he wanted it to. He writes a letter to Joab and he sends it by the hand of Uriah. Okay, so we're going to send Uriah back and I'm going to write this note to Joab. Hmm. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting 
Then draw back from him so he'll be struck down and die. Uriah is so trustworthy, and there's biblical commentators that argue about this. Uriah is carrying the note, and he is so trustworthy that he doesn't read the note himself. Right? This is a note for Joab. If he opens up and he reads it, make sure Uriah gets killed. What? There's this other little group of rabbis that all say Uriah was so obedient to the king that he could have read it and would have still gone through with it. I don't know about that. We don't see evidence of that. But gosh, what if, right? He takes the letter. Joab is besieging the city. He assigns Uriah to the place where he knew where all the valiant men were. The men of the city came out. They fought with Joab. Some of the servants of David among the people fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sends a message. Again, another one of these messages. All the news about the fighting. So Uriah the Hittite dies. And a couple other men die too. So here's David trying to cover up his sin. He's lied to Uriah just by not telling him the truth. He's gotten him drunk and failed. Now he's sort of set up this devious plan and it got Uriah and other men killed. And he's, is the blood on David's hands or is the blood on Joab's hands? Because Joab, Joab's a tough dude and he's disagreed with David before. It's totally normal and would have been kind of expected for Joab to be like, uh-uh, we're not doing this. So Joab is now guilty. David's double guilty, right? This happened with the Pharisees. This happens in modern day with us. We sin. We try to hide the sin with the sin. We try to cover that lie with the lie. And we just heap and heap and heap. And the best thing to do is quit heaping. <laughs> right? Stop as soon as possible. The rule of holes. If you're in a hole, quit digging, right? Quit excusing yourself. Gosh. So he sends the message back. Joab sends a coded message with the messenger. When you finish telling all the news about the fighting to the king, if the king's anger rises, if he says to you, why did you go near the city to fight? Did you not know they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam? What in the world? Hold on, we'll, we'll go there. He says, also tell him that your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. The messenger doesn't do it the right way. The messenger doesn't wait for David to get mad. So he quotes this weirdness about Abimelech. Abimelech, the son of Jerubesheth. Jerubesheth. So this is in Judges. There's this big battle, Abimelech was a son of Gideon. Gideon had 70... Oh, wait, Bible study time. So when it mentions something like that, what? What does that have to do with anything? You get on Google and you type in Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth. And you figure out where else in the Bible it talks about this. So you get your study Bible and you got a little note that says, read Judges chapter 9, verse 53. And then you flip over to Judges 9, 53, and there it is. And you find that, that Abimelech 
was terrible. He was a terrible, terrible person. Gideon had 70 sons. Gideon, right? Tuba warrior for another VeggieTales. Gideon, like the warrior with the pots and the lamps and the horns, he had 70 sons. One of them was Abimelech. Abimelech said, hey, now that our dad's dead, Israel doesn't want to be ruled by 70 sons of, of Gideon. They want to be ruled by Gideon, but now we're all in charge. Let's all go meet and you guys just, let's just pick one person to be in charge. And they're like, you know what? That makes sense. All thinking that they themselves would be the one put in charge. Abimelech kills his 70 brothers, kills them all. And now he's the leader. So terrible person, right? Hmm. So how did he die? Abimelech, they go, they fight this battle. They take this huge building and there's this huge tower. They have all the people trapped and all the people are in the, the tower that they're trying to conquer. So if you got everybody stuck in a tower, like militarily speaking, all you do is just sit and wait. It's only going to take about a week and they're all going to be dead. And they're all stuck, right? You don't keep fighting. Well, Vimelech, bloodthirsty killer dude, he's like, let's go attack the tower. And they all start attacking the tower. And a lady takes a millstone from a mill and drops it out the window and crushes him. <laughs> he's not totally dead. He tells one of his guys, stab me with the sword because I don't want to say a woman killed me. And they're like, okay, boss. And they kill him. So Abimelech's terrible, right? So David says, how did you let this happen? Don't you know that Uriah has now died the same way Abimelech died? Shoot. Uriah, who is this faithful, awesome, full of integrity, following the Lord, loyal to David, even in his death, David is kind of throwing some shade on him and saying, oh man, he must be just like Abimelech to get killed in such a terrible way. Gosh. So he tells all that stuff. Um, David said, this is, you know, no big deal. Verse 25, David says to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, don't let this matter displease you. The sword kills one and then the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. I misspoke. It wasn't David that made Uriah like Abimelech. It was Joab. Joab is the one. So Joab doesn't know why David wants to kill Uriah. But Joab is putting Uriah in this evil grouping with Abimelech. It was Joab doing that. And so David cleans up his mess. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. When the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Okay, so again, about questioning your commentaries and and really thinking through stuff. Bathsheba had no choice in any of this. She was stuck. 
Remember, women are not treated with any honor. They're not given any respect. They have no place in society except to be bossed around by men. She had no fault. I don't think she had any fault because there aren't any men around. All the men are out fighting. But when her husband dies, she is going to be left a destitute, poor widow. She will have no one to, to provide for her. If Uriah the Hittite has a brother, she hasn't had any kids yet. Uriah the Hittite's brother is going to marry her and have children in the name of Uriah the Hittite. But they don't talk about Uriah having any brothers. So she's going to be on her own. So again, this commentary that was David could do no harm, it's all him, talks about this as being such a kindness of David to taking in Bathsheba. I'm like, I don't know about that. I can't go that far. The dude already had eight wives. Um, so this is not a, yeah, this is a problem, right? The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's one of the most troubling sentences. Because what in the heck is it? Like, pick from the list. Was it the original bit of laying around on the couch while the Ark of the Covenant is out at war? Was it looking at Bathsheba? Because Jesus said, if you commit lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Just the look, just the thought was bad. Was it the lies? Was it having Uriah killed? Was it having Uriah killed in such an awful way and then letting his name be tarnished, right? Just levels and levels. So we're not going to do the other half of the story till next week. But Psalm 51 gives us some insight. And David got changed. And we're not going to read all of Psalm 51. We'll read it next week. But do you see all these levels? David was living for himself. None of this is God helping him. None of this is God showing him favor. None of this is God coming to his aid. He never asks Nathan to question the ephod to see if we should do this or that. He's totally off the tracks and doing his own thing. And when Saul did this, Saul was taken away from the kingdom. And he was removed. God's spirit left Saul. It says God sent an evil spirit to torment him. And God was like, we are done here. But God, uh-oh, a couple chapters back, made a covenant with David. And he said, you are going to mess up. But I will make sure you always have a son on the throne. You are going to fall. When your son goes off the tracks, I'm not going to forget you like I forgot Saul. I'm going to stay and we're going to stick around and there's going to be some discipline and it's going to be hard, but I am going to be with you. And that covenant to David, even though he would mess up and do all this whole chapter of bad stuff that would even displease the Lord, God will keep his covenant all the way through to Jesus. And Jesus, a descendant of David, would take the throne and have it forever. So, this is part one. Part two will happen next week. But I want to encourage you, look up Psalm 51. 
um, this week because you get to see how David changed. And you don't see any evidence of Psalm 51 in 2 Samuel 11. And it's when, when uh, it's displeased the Lord and when God confronts David, that's when Psalm 51 happens. And it's awesome. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your covenant to David. That you would always have one of his descendants on your throne. No matter how much they messed up. Thank you so much for sending the ultimate descendant, Jesus, to never mess up. And to be absolutely perfect. And to save all of us who have messed up like David did. We love you. We exalt you. And we thank you for your mercy, Lord. Amen. All right.